This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Tristan Terry, thanks so much for making it Talk Your Book debut. Really excited to have you on. Thought if you could start by telling us a little bit about Aura Group and what you guys do. Yeah, cheers, Chris. Uh, really excited to have a chat today, mate. Um, Aura Group's a diversified financial services business. We have a few different divisions, but our bread and butter uh, for a long time has been venture capital and uh, alternative credit. So we manage those two strategies in-house and manage about uh, half a billion dollars across the business. And what's, what company do you want to talk about today? So look, I thought I'd pick a company from our uh, first fund, Aura Venture Fund 1. Um, the business is called Super Estate. Um, it was founded by an ex-Olympian. So, uh, you know, he, he spent... A long time with his head underwater um, and I think people that are willing to go to those places you know are pretty driven so he's come out the other side um, and come up with a really beautiful concept uh, that we bought into and the business is called Super Estate. So who's the founder? So the guy's called Grant Britz um, he's been a, a long-term relationship of the group um, and we've so we've known him for a while and we decided that um, you know he was he was worthy of some funding um, and have worked really closely with him uh, since investing over the last couple of years and um, you know, it's the fun part of the job from, from my side is investing in great businesses, but also working with great people. Um, and he certainly ticks that box for us. And so what's the business model for Super Estate? We call Super Estate uh, one of these next generation superannuation platforms. Most people are familiar with the, you know, the host pluses and the Aussie supers of the world. But a lot of people don't know about this next gen um, of, of schemes um, where players have basically decided to connect with audiences or members on a, on a particular angle um, to build higher engagement. So you've got funds out there connecting with members through building portfolios of, of sexy and well-known tech companies. You've got um, socially aware funds. You've got funds that are built to cater for the needs of women. Um, but Super Estate's model is that it's the only player in Australia to build a portfolio of residential uh, property assets. Um, so it's connecting with, with um, pundits of, of resi property um, um, and you know for us and, and for the guys uh, we think residential property is more than an asset class um, you know it's, it's the Aussie dream in a way um, there's something a bit romantic around um, you know living and owning in your own home and and although super estate doesn't address that particular condition um, we think there's uh, you know another reason that Aussies love real estate so much and that's because you know over the last 20 years it's it's outperformed the ASX 200 um, which for us makes a really compelling um, investment case. So I guess the mission of the business is to enable everyday Aussies to build exposures in a, a really important asset class. And then all their asset base isn't just in residential property though, is it? Do you want to talk through maybe how they split up their, their asset base as a whole? Yeah. So um, when new members join the platform, they elect if they want to be in the um, they, they basically choose a, a weighting towards property. So we have a, a 10, a 25 and a 50% exposure. Um, so that's the, the allocation you get to the, to the proprietary resi pool. And then the balance of the members funds are allocated to, um, you know, what we'd like to think of as more vanilla um, fixed income and, and ETF products. So there's still certainly some credit and equity exposure in the portfolios, but we're 
also giving the the investor or the member the option of having a, a different weighting towards the property stuff, which which for them is the kind of exciting piece. And so maybe give me the helicopter view of the super fund industry in, in Australia. What's the size of the total super fund industry? So uh, it's it's massive uh, in a nutshell, kind of nearly three trillion um, in in funds across the the industry, uh, and obviously it keeps growing. So employees, you know, as everyone's well aware, are contributing nine and a half percent of their hard-earned dollars to their um, nominated superannuation scheme. Um, that number's uh, will it will increase to twelve percent uh, within the next five years. So massive, massive tailwinds um, ripping through the whole sector. Um, and you know, usually as an investor, we look for businesses that have, have optionality on, into different jurisdictions or different countries um, because the Aussie market isn't huge most of the time. But in this case, um, you know, the Aussie market is well and truly enough for um, super estate to do really well. And what sort of percentage of that market in a blue sky picture could you see super estate getting? Yeah. So look, to, to start with the current um, grab of the business is 0.003%. Um, and for which doesn't sound like much at all, but from our understanding, Super Estate's one of the leading players in terms of size um, with regards to the new crop of, of superannuation players. Um, so if you kind of modelled out different scenarios, the, the numbers are actually so big, they, they just look silly. So if Super Estate got to 0.005%, it'd have north of um, 13 billion um, in funds under management. Um, that's obviously you know a great outcome. That's not what we're kind of angling for here. We think if the guys can get the business to anywhere near a um, billion dollars, they've done done really, really well. And is super estate profitable at this level? Look, it's not. Um, you know, the old saying in, in venture capital is that the, uh, the businesses are more valuable when they're loss making. Um, <laughs> we don't always, you know, prescribe to that, but we certainly recognize businesses that need to spend money to, you know, make money in the long term. Uh, term. Um, and we think this is no exception. What size do they need to be to get to, to become profitable? Um, so the models indicate that profitability should come around FY23 or in that year. Um, and look, it's, it's uh, under the $250 million um, assets under management mark. So it's not a huge um, path from here if the guys can keep executing well. Um, you look at, you see some of these kind of robo-y type um, products out there with really skinny margins and they have to hit billions to get profitable but because there's a you know an active element to this asset class and some really important ip that's being used um the the rates kind of cover the the expenses really well so you get to that point of profitability a bit sooner than than you would in another case and what's their customer acquisition strategy for for super fund members yeah, so all online to date. Um, the guys and, and led from Grant initially have been really clever with, with their digital spend. So really cutting through um, and, and using SEO really well. They've worked out exactly, you know, what time of the day they should be spending and, and through what um, channels. So purely digital and uh, word of mouth referrals uh, to date. Um, we think Moving forward, the guys will look to produce more content and kind of thought leadership to, to really give the members the full property investing experience. Um, you know, half of it's about mem members feeling like their money's in the right areas, but the other side of it is teaching people about property investing, you know, enabling them to, to one day maybe go out and invest outside of, of this product. Um, so look, the, the acquisition strategy is working really well to date uh, without saying what the the actual cost of a customer is, it's, it's, it's pretty fair. 
um, and, and really reasonable when compared to some of the bigger guys. Um, but obviously as, as the business grows and it needs to attract more and more users, you know, to maintain its growth rates, that's, I guess, where the challenges start to come in. And what's the churn rate like for their members that they've got? Yeah, so we have, um, we think about churn two different ways. So the first type of churn, I guess, if, if you've got a member who's been accumulating wealth on your platform for a while and then has got to the point where they'd like to go and open their own SMSF. So that's, we don't think of that as, you know, true churn, but that is a member leaving the platform. Um, so that has happened. We don't actually track that separately. Um, what we track is the uh, member moving from super estate to a competing or rolling over to a competing fund. Um, and that churn is kind of less than one and a half percent a month. Um, so, you know, that, that's well within where we think a business like this um, can operate. Um, but as I said, you need to keep ensuring that members are engaged, adding functionality and features to the platform and, and staying, you know, front of center in, um, in your customers' minds when, you know, this is not a superannuation for a long time hasn't been very sexy for a lot of people. So you're trying to connect with people without becoming, you know, a burden to their, um, to their life. And what sort of returns has Super Estate been able to deliver their fund members to date? Um, so to date, uh, for the FY20, Chris, the, um, and look, I'll disclose this by saying it doesn't sound great, but the average return across the three um, Super Estate portfolios was about 1.4%. Um, if you put that in the context of, of all of the Aussie balance funds across FY20, the average return was actually negative 1.2%. Um, so there's, there's obviously some, some, um, like a decent Delta there, but, um, apparently F FY 20 wasn't a great year for, <laughs> for a lot of these players. How do they value the properties on their, on their books? Obviously it's not like a stock where it's got a clear market price each day. How do they go about that? Yeah, look, that, that's a really good question. And kind of a, for a lot of incoming members, that's, that's, a, a, you know, the area they'd like comfort around. So the policy is each property um, within the fund is valued every six months from the time of acquiring. So all properties are obviously on different time cycles, but every six months a value will be struck um, by a fully independent third party and, and really well-known um, property valuation team within Australia. Um, and yeah, so that's how it works. And, and the kind of upside that flows through from a reval or, or potentially the, the downside flows through into the member's account and is kind of booked, um, booked into the, the, you know, the unit price of the member. So it's a, yes, it's illiquid, but the gains or losses within that property are allocated to each of the member balances every six months. And obviously earlier this year, we had an ability to withdraw our super early or a, a portion of it. How did that impact Super Estate? Um, yeah, it was a pretty big whack for the guys, actually. Um, so they processed hundreds and hundreds of, of 10K withdrawals and, and a few, you know, not, not quite at the 10K. So had a material impact on the business. But I guess the way the guys looked at it was um, there's a lot of people struggling at the moment. Um, you know, we need to help our members get through this. So processing things were done, you know, in... in beautiful time and they were done within the three day um, suggested time frame from the ATO. Um, and, you know, the effort was to, well, the effort will be moving forward to maintain communications with those members. Um, they may, may not have much balance wise at the moment, but, you know, the, the business views them as, as, you know, members moving forward. So when people get back on their feet and start contributing again, the, the, you know, they'll be there for support. 
And talk to me how you got comfortable with having a relatively illiquid asset class in residential property and how you, you square that off with the potential for redemptions and, and how that could get managed if redemptions increase over a period of time and there's an illiquid asset as the asset base for them. Yep. Um, yeah, so that's definitely a kind of an item that needs deep consideration with these kind of property, illiquid property pools. Um, so the, the company uses an external trustee and, and that specific question that you, you asked there, Chris, is addressed by both Super Estate and its trustee. So there are, there are minimum cash requirements that the business is required to hold in the fund um, that obviously grow as the business brings on more members and more accounts, um, just to ensure that if there are, you know, redemptions on mass that the business can facilitate them. Um, and then additionally, as you noted before, there are liquid assets within the portfolio. So if, if it needed to happen, the guys could start exiting some of those more liquid positions to make sure there's sufficient liquidity. Um, because that, you know, that's the, no one wants to get stuck in the, into something when they're the, you know, the time's up. Um, so certainly, you know, even in a really bad case scenario where you, you know, predict big, big redemptions, the guys have ways of, of managing that. And no debt on the properties is there? No, nothing's leveraged to date. But having said that, that that's not to suggest that will always be the case. Um, some, some investors or some members like the fact there's no debt on there. Um, but having said that, there are, you've obviously got the other side of the coin that like to kind of try and supercharge returns to a degree. So I think the guys will certainly explore that in more detail as they grow, but they're still kind of, um, they're not quite at that point yet, put it that way. And Aussies already have a, a large exposure of residential property as a rule. Do you think it makes sense for, for Aussies that already have residential property to, to get more correlation in their asset base, if you like, by going into a super fund like this? Or do you think this appeals more to that, that, that customer that effectively has been priced out of the resi supermarket, uh, the residential property market, but still wants to get that exposure without being able to write out the, the full check for a, a full property, if you like? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd get in trouble here if I didn't just say before I answer that, that this is not financial advice. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, look, we certainly the, um, attractiveness of super estate is not as great to a investor who's already got a portfolio of residential assets um, than you know to an investor who's just starting out investing and doesn't have any exposure to property. So we think there's certainly a target market for the business or a natural fit for for different members. Um, but having said that, you know we also think that even um, you know high net worth investors. Um, can struggle to build a, a nationally diversified mm. property portfolio, which is really important because you've obviously got um, different outlooks and different conditions for states across the nation. Um, so we think it's attractive to a whole range of investors from different financial backgrounds, but certainly um, the initial value proposition for the guys was to give investors without property exposure, um, the opportunity to get their foot in the door and feel like they can, you know, partake in, in what's been a really strong asset class. And we've seen huge consolidation in the, the super fund industry, particularly across some of the, the majors. Do you think that's a trend that's going to continue? And could you see super estate playing a role in that in the future? Yeah, look, um, Grant would be very happy to, to hear you ask that question, Chris, because it's, it's something that he's been exploring from a very early stage. Um, so look, we're not in a position to do anything now. We're still, we don't think we're big enough to move the needle for anyone just yet, but we'd like to think that 
you know, down the track um, and with the IP the business brings to the equation, um, we could provide real value in terms of a roll-up for someone. Um, I think what's interesting as well is there's so much um, publication and so much speculation around, you know, which funds are best and they're now publishing, you know, the naughty list of the underperforming funds, um, you know, for, for people to be named and shamed. We think those funds who need to make changes to improve performance, to create better outcomes for their members will, I think, certainly be looking to do things with more nimble players that, that bring, you know, real IP to the, to the table. Um, so we'd like to think in a few years that we'll be part of, of a conversation somewhere, but uh, a bit too early for us to be able to know where that is. And VC investing is not too dissimilar to, to a lot of the stonks I invest in <laughs> in the listed space. You always need to have a clear view of what milestones are potentially coming up that could lead to a re-rate. Yep. What milestones exist for super estate that you'll be looking to see them sign off on that could, could create them to go to the next level? So I think the, the obvious one is, is kind of hitting profitability. So getting through that J curve and into a profitable state, it just opens up so many options for a business, you know, whether it be using debt to grow or you get some of the larger private equity guys willing to throw their hat in the ring. So we think that's, that's the obvious one. And then um, alongside that, you know, the arbitrary farm targets of, you know, 250 mil, 500 mil, and then, you know, maybe a, a few years down the track, that, that nice billion dollar mark. Um, so I do think, as you met, the consolidation plays is definitely a real one, but I think um, you need to be of a certain size to be having those conversations. So I think, you know, in the Aussie market, 250 as a kind of line in the sand feels like a pretty, you feel like a pretty material business in this space if, if you can get there. Um, and that's kind of what the guys are gunning towards. It was a great summary, Tristan. Really appreciate you coming on. Great to have a VC perspective on the show. Where can people find out more or follow all groups progress if they want to see how you're tracking? Thanks, Chris. Enjoyed the chat today. Um, the Aura website uh, that represents the whole group across a few of our different business units, but uh, uh, obviously the, the VC stuff is uh, Aura, A-U-R-A dot C-O. Beautiful. Thanks, mate. Appreciate mate, it. Awesome. Cheers. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.